Mixed Media Music. All right, welcome back to Mixed Media. If you are watching in post-production, we've already heard today from Nathan, uh, Nathan arguing with Reddit about video games and Irving uh, reviewing the film No, is it no Tomorrow Part 1. Yes, No Tomorrow. Uh, yeah, okay. So I'm going to shift gears here, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the role of music in Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. I'm going to try and keep this... Kind of keep this uh, sh- as short as I can, but it's a really fascinating score because, well, for, for two reasons. Number one, when I watched this film a couple, you know, weeks ago, um, about almost exactly two weeks ago, I didn't know anything about the film. I had played the music from the kind of climactic scene in a recent concert, uh, so that was my only knowledge of the film at all. And, you know, when I watch the film, you watch it. If you don't know what what's what happens in it, it that's good. I think you you don't want to know what happens the first time you watch it. It has kind of a, a big twist in it, we'll say. And you know, the minute I finished watching it, I'm like, wow. Not only do I understand like some of what was going on that I didn't understand initially, which you're not supposed to, um, but I also understand felt like immediately I understand exactly what like the role of the music was, and like it's not obvious when you watch it until the end there's actually been uh, a little bit stuff you know in the even in the popular world written about the score um alex ross the music critic from the new york times or the new yorker new yorker but um he wrote a really nice article about it uh, that I, I was just reading and he actually talks about a lot of the same things that i'm going to say um although he focuses on slightly different things some slightly different things that I'm going to I'm focus on some other things. Um, but overall, he says some, some really you know, interesting stuff. So this is, again, a score that, like, people have talked about quite a bit, even, like, outside of the, you know, film music world. Um, and it, what's interesting to me, too, is that not only is its purpose really readily discernible once you've seen the film, but it's kind of music that, to me, maybe it's just my personal taste in music, but it doesn't really work outside of the film um you know yes i just played it at a concert recently the you know the the music from the big climactic scene um yes i guess it does exist in the concert world but to me like i would not listen to this i would not put it on unless i wanted to to study it for some reason and that's unusual for scores that i think are really great because normally the scores i think are great work really well with the film and also work is like independently from the film. But this is a score that does something, I think, very different than what most films do. And, you know, I, I was just talking uh, with my family the other night. Um, my mom, we were talking about a score from a John Barry film, um, I think Mary Queen of Scots or something like that. And my mom, you know, was talking about, it. she pulled up this song from it uh, that she, I was really impactful in her childhood and she was reading some of the YouTube comments and someone said like this is you know a sign of a great score is that it makes you you understand you know, feel more sympathy for the character and I, I said I don't think that's true and and Vertigo is a great example of that uh, so you know we've talked even past about a lot of composers describing their music as kind of forms of emotional manipulation and I don't think that's what this is so just, just as I'm going to kind of go through what I think the role is here, um, 
But just keep in mind, if you have not seen the film, spoiler warning, I would recommend you turn this off right now and go watch the film before you listen to this. Okay. In fact, I, I'm going to put a very hideous spoiler warning tag, right? Just in case someone uh, pops in, uh, you know, and has no idea what's going on, poor soul. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, film... this is a film, it, it's a, a masterpiece <laughs> of filmmaking. At least I, I think it is. Not that I am not the most educated film critic at all but um but you you don't want to if you don't know what happens you don't really want to know and i'm gonna have to talk a little bit about that okay yeah so instead of being emotional manipulation i think what this score does uh this is by by the way uh bernard Herrmann um is our composer kind of the composer for most of hitchcock's films until they're falling out later in, in life to me it does two things it, I think, uh, complements some of the film techniques itself, like, you know, the camera techniques in a musical way. And two, it's not about, like, what the characters... Maybe it's roughly about what the characters are feeling, but it's not making us care about the characters or their feelings. It's kind of... The music is there to give us the theme to reinforce the theme of what's going on and in ways that aren't apparent until you know what happens okay so how does it like actually mimic um some of the really interesting camera stuff that's going on and again disclaimer i'm not a film person so there are probably way more interesting camera things that this is kind of a layman's understanding but the big thing in vertigo as i understand it is the vertigo effect which I'm sure Irving could probably tell you more about. But my yes. understanding is to create this sense of like one of the main characters at you know large you know uh, at, at, like somewhere up high and looks down and like feels dizzy and disoriented. The effect is uh, the camera zooms in while being pulled out. Okay. Yep. That's um, accurate. Yeah, and the so there's a musical analog of that. Um, when you the film starts, we get the prelude to it. And if you listen to the prelude, we start with the um, we have high strings and low strings. Low strings go up at the same time the, the high strings go down. Then they meet, low strings go down, high strings go up. And this is a repeating pattern. So again, kind of just like disorienting up and down, reversing itself. Um, really brilliant start to it. And it just continues, and then you get all these cluster chord, you know, chords that don't really progress anywhere harmonically. Um, so we get that kind of musical analog and that actually doesn't occur in the film other than in the prelude, but it sets up our like disorienting, you know, like, wow, you know, I've lost my balance. I'm looking down at like this great height kind of thing. Um, when we actually get those moments in the film though, um, what we get is, you know, lots of background stuff, but the primary thing that gives us this disoriented feeling is that uh, two harps rapidly going up and down scales and the suddenly the harps are like they're not i'm not even sure they're harps anywhere else in the score but they're like brought to the forefront of the mix and it's just kind of dizzying array of notes so we get two different kind of musical analogs to this um vertigo effect shot okay so again, that's not something that you find often in, in film where like the, the music is trying to do something that the camera is, is doing, going for that kind of effect. 
the other thing, like I said, uh, that this music is doing um, is that it's really going after the theme very, very briefly. So I want to stay here all night. But this, the music in general, uh, it doesn't go anywhere. And it doesn't have much contour. So, for instance, uh, most commentators when they're talking about this, they focus on like this 16-minute long seg- segment where there's almost no dialogue, and our main character Scotty is trailing uh, Madeline, the well, one of the lead female characters, we'll say. And you know, she's just driving around San Francisco, following her. She walks in somewhere. He walks in. There may be a few lines of dialogue here that let us know where he is. Um, this is continues for 16 minutes, and essentially it's a silent film, other than a few orienting lines of dialogue with lots of music. Again, the music doesn't go anywhere though. There's not. So we start getting these like hints of things um, that Alex Ross calls like suggestions of melody, but they never develop into a melody. So we start getting these fragments. Other than that, it's just kind of a, a persistent rhythmic figure, and these chords that are very much drawn from, from Wagner's opera, Tristan und Solde, which we'll talk about in a second why that is. I'm going to borrow Alex Ross's language here. He says that it's, it's simultaneously not tonal. Um, it's not in any like identifiable key, but it's not dissonant, really. It's kind of wandering. It kind of goes somewhere and then kind of fades back in. But there's not really like there's no defined melodic shape. Okay. And some people suggest that this the whole film it, I mean, it definitely has a dreamlike quality to it, and lots of reasons, lots of light things going on too that suggest that. And the music is certainly doing that as well. It's just not progressing anywhere. It's kind of there. Again, back on the idea of contour. What I mean by that is like there's no like melodic. We've talked about like you know gest music being a gesture language. They there just basically are no gestures. Just kind of chord, 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 chord. Right, just kind of meandering. And we get these like slight suggestions of something which could develop into a romantic-ish melody, but then it just it's, it doesn't ever like just like two or three notes, and then it's, that's it. Okay. Um, so these kind of thematic ideas. The other thing about them is as the film goes on and we, you know, get more into the relationship between um, Scotty and, and Madeline, um, their, their kind of romantic interest in each other uh, grows and the stakes kind of get heightened. Um, these ideas eventually do start becoming more apparent, but they never get fleshed out. So what they are essentially... They kind of occur in long chains of with harmonic sequencing. So what that means is like we have these three, four notes, which is most of what these things are, um, and then we get them again and just slightly higher, and then again slightly higher and slightly higher, and then we get like an octave displacement and we're back to where we started. And it does the same thing: same three notes, higher, 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 back to where we started, kind of thing. So it's basically, you know, harmonic sequencing with looping. So again, it doesn't go anywhere. It's like rising, but we're back to where we started. And even when we have multiple, they're basically three ideas. And these three ideas, even when they're not just looping internally, they kind of present a larger loop. We'll get idea A looped into idea B, loops itself, and then it goes back into idea A. 
they're all really in the same harmonic style. The harmony, again, doesn't progress anywhere, and that's what allows these things to just kind of flow into each other. Um, yeah, so again, it's kind of this dreamlike thing, and just like we're not progressing. We have like suggestions of something which could be like passionate efforts, but it doesn't get there. It does kind of build up eventually towards the climax of, I think, Irving, you'd maybe say it's the second act in, in your understanding where um, Madeline, okay, so here's our spoiler uh, warning, uh, Madeline jumps off uh, out of the uh, the bell tower. Ah. Okay, so that's kind of our, our I, I, I don't know, would you call that like the second act? Irving. I don't. I don't remember the particular. I don't remember. I'd have to go and think about the events, but that would definitely be an act break when she. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I I think using my my understanding using of your your act breakdown is that I was probably the second act, mm. but I could be wrong. Okay. Just throwing it in there because we talked about acts earlier. Yeah. Um. So the music does build there. Then we get the kind of the third act where we have our our big kind of twist again spoiler alert if you don't know uh the film watch the film don't listen to this um but essentially we get so scotty you know falls in love with uh judy at this point um who is madeline in a way that i'm you know even though i'm spoiling it i'm still gonna try and say as little as i can and then we're eventually going to start building up to like the biggest musical climax. But interestingly, to, interesting to note, Judy, when she writes, you know, in her letter scene, she writes and she kind of explains what actually happened and then riffs up her letter. But um, during that scene, we actually get music for her, which is the only time we get this. Pretty much everything else has been just kind of chords static chords and then these like three ideas that kind of loop with each other um her idea also loops but it's a little bit less insistent and it's actually kind of the inverse shape of instead of like rising it goes down so she's kind of the inverse shape of music which i think we can at this point associate with uh, our main character scotty um, so interestingly, of course, though, this doesn't reoccur in, in the film. She doesn't really get much of a voice, really, if throughout the, the, you know, the last bit of, of this film. Um, so her, her, you know, identity is kind of squashed after it is briefly allowed to, to exist. Um, but it is interesting that it's kind of in the same style, but like just an inverted kind of direction of, of Scotty's music. And that it is loop looping too. And again, so we'll, we'll talk about what what that means for for this for you know the, the purpose of all these all this looping. Okay, so we get to the climactic scene, uh, which in the the special soundtrack is just called "Scene d'Amour," love scene. Um, at this point, so Scotty has tried to transform Judy into his idealized image, the like literally literally the image of Madeline. And uh, we get this moment where, you know, it starts, we were going to bring all of these three shape, sort of shapes that don't have a whole lot of contour, other than we just keep right, making them rise. They're all going to kind of come together here. And it starts with him alone in her room, waiting for her. Um, then when she 
she get this nice shot. She kind of shows up at the end of the hall and starts walking toward him. And we get a literal quotation here of the Liebes Tater, Love Death, uh, from Wagner's Tristan und Isolde, <laughs> which, in case we hadn't already recognized this, um, it's a pretty on-the-nose if you know what this opera is. Now, already the music has kind of been in that exact same kind of like harmonic and orchestrational world um, very much as, as Tristan. Um, but here, like in case we didn't recognize that already, it's thrown at us. Um, when, it's interesting too that uh, in The Birds, um, they actually played the, this segment uh, of Tristan in, on the radio. Um, most people think it's a deliberate nod to the fact that it was so important to Vertigo. Mm. Yeah, so just briefly, this is a really important opera um, that essentially it's kind of a tr doomed love story, um, which the two lovers, you know, are obsessed with each other. And they it's, an, you know, it's impossible for them to, to, you know, be together for one reason or another. We don't have to go into the details of the plot. Um, but it's particularly notable because the opening uh, prelude to the opera, uh, we get this, like, you know, maybe three notes from the orchestra into this gigantic chord that it's called its most famous chord in music called the Tristan chord. No one really knows how to analyze it exactly, um, but it doesn't resolve for the entire opera until, like, the, the end, okay? So it's like a three-and-a-half-hour non-resolved very much about unfulfilled erotic longing. Wagner is very clear this is what this is about. It's all about erotic, unfulfilled erotic passion. Nice. Um, Hitchcock is pretty clear that's what this film was about, too, in some ways. Yeah. Um, you know, he even says, like, oh, the, the Coit Tower that uh, keeps, you know, showing up is actually a phallic, it's supposed to be a phallic symbol, in case, like, he's, he's literally, you know, pretty ominous about that, too. Although there is no like consummation of that, it, it, on and they don't even mention it in the film. It's clearly like what is undergirding everything here. So, in the end of the opera, this the music of it is quoted. Um, the the male of the our love duo uh, is dead, and the female kind of falls on top of him and dies on top of him. And but she has no reason to die. She just has to be together with him in the spiritual realm to okay so that's the music we get here uh when she starts walking down the hall and she's dressed fully as madeline um and this builds you know she walks in they, they embrace each other and kind of get this long kind of spiraling shot of them uh, that's the musical climax here we get these themes you know that they don't go anywhere where we keep reaching and looping back down all of the three ideas. And finally, we get a resolution to it. Just like in Wagner's opera, we finally get a resolution after three and a half hours. We finally get a nice C major chord. They are like embracing each other. And then we go to the, the end of the film, which is I'm not going to get into what happens exactly at the end. I think it's pretty clear once you watch the, this film that um, this is largely about, like, the nature of, you know, kind of what the line is between, like, erotic longing um, and obsession and idealization. Yeah. And the music, it just, that's what it does. It reinforces it. It's not like, 
there's no, you know, it's not a love theme. Like, oh, here's a melodic line that's going to show no. the sweetness of our of my of this character's, you know, love or whatever. You know, no, it it doesn't do that. It is music about obsession, right? It loops back on itself. It's an idea, and I'm going to repeat the idea, but with more intensity because it's a little bit higher and more intensity. And I'm going to go back to the, the idea again and try and build up again. Oh, I'm going to do another idea and build up on that. And oh, I'm going to go back to the first idea. It's literally just enacting that theme. And it's not really obvious until you understand that that's what the film is about. Yeah. Um, and it's not very obvious uh, for a good ways into the film that that's really what the film is about, too. Yeah, um, right. And as soon as you understand that that's what the film is about, you understand why the music is in this kind of obsessive. Like, it's it's got this, you know, the language of Wagner's erotic longing. It literally quotes that. Uh, unfulfilled longing but it just it doesn't go anywhere you know it keeps it rises and it spirals back upon itself you do not listen to this and like wow i i'm rooting for you know scotty um yeah it's not music to make you like like the main character in the end i don't like anyone in that film except for maybe like the side person marge even yeah. she's not, like not fully likable you know yeah i don't think I, you're right you really don't like anyone in this film yeah. um yeah so music is not trying to do that it's not trying to like you know convince us of the like uh, you know oh uh, well without without the music to clue us in we would never like understand you know we, we wouldn't believe their like their love you know which is Maybe that's like emotional manipulation. No, I mean, I think the the camera takes care of that pretty well and all the other things, the acting, whatever. I think it's pretty obvious without the music telling us that. The music, to me, is just reinforcing that theme in a really visceral way. Um, Yeah. Interestingly, too, uh, like I said, um, the brief moment where where Judy's theme, you know, exists, um, it's also obsessive, but it, it doesn't reappear. Um, so, and I think that also kind of matches her character in a way. I think she's also obsessed with the past. Like, why else did she go back and like live in the same spot? Yes, she's obsessed with the you know this idea of a man who is only obsessed with an idea of her. Her obsession may not be quite as like strong and hammering you know hammered in our face, but she's willing to like lose her own personality and do whatever this guy tells tells her to so she can yes she says she just wants to make him happy she's obsessive in her own right um and her her music reflects that even though it doesn't it gets you know squashed by by his his overwhelming um obsessive desire as well but she has that too and it's reflected in her music so i think it's a very different kind of film square i mean you, you may anyone listening to this you may like love it and like it's kind of music you want to put on in the background personally i wouldn't but just for its overall effect as as film music it is really fantastic again kind of some stuff that is you know mimicking some of the innovative camera work um that that hitchcock did um and then just music that reinforces the theme but in the in the way that like in a way that doesn't reveal the theme until it's it's apparent. Um, then once you know the theme, it is, is right, the music is in your is in your faces. Everything else is. Um, 
they're kind of unique film score in that way. Really masterful design. You, you know, you know that Hermann had to know exactly what he was doing here mm-hmm. um, and know what his job was um, in 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 the creation of this film. Um, Hitchcock, apparently, he's kind of interesting, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of his, his use of music, even though I haven't seen too many of his films. I know he has um, a quote on, um, apparently he said in one of his films, I can't remember the name of the film, it's like Rowboat, I think, um, where he comments, you know, he doesn't want it to be like this, like powerful, uh, you know, big orchestral score while they're on the sea because he says something like, the audience is going to ask where this music is coming from in the middle of the sea. Uh, and yeah. his big composer said something like, well, isn't the audience going to ask where this camera is coming from out in the middle of the ocean? Yeah, it's um, kind of an odd thing so, to say. Yeah. You know, so I, I imagine, you know, it was probably interesting working with Hitchcock on this film. Um, but I think there's probably a really clear artistic direction that Hitchcock gave to Hermann that he, you know, he wanted the theme to be up front and center and not, not to be that kind of world of typical emotional manipulation, so to speak. So, yeah, fascinating film score. Um, watch the film. And if, you, you know, if you've seen the film, I think pay attention to the music and you'll see what the music does relative to you know, the overall effect. Man, you're making me want to watch it again. <laughs> it's just, just the, I'm like, this film is so good. I almost gave it a five out of five. It's like a four point seven five, and now you're making me want to revise that because it's just so freaking good. Um. <laughs> yeah, just like the 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 it's it's the music is just so perfectly integrated into into the overall artistic vision. Definitely my favorite of his films. Uh... You know, Psycho is is also a masterpiece, but I think this one is just is just that much more perfect. Um, and uh, the a side note to all that you were saying, which might make some people upset, and it made me upset in some ways too. But uh, a lot of this is a uh, is somewhat autobiographical. Um, his uh, exploration of these topics is somewhat autobiographical. Um, he was. And it kind of makes sense when you uh, look at the lead, uh, the leads that he uh, pulled for his films are all of the same exact type. Um, (laughs) All the women are the same exact type magically. And then that became associated with Hollywood. But really, you know, you think about it, it's kind of a Hitchcock thing. (laughs) It's, it's, It's really on. I think I've said on the nose like twice already, but it is kind of on the nose when when Scotty, you know, accuses her something like, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like, oh, did, you know, did he tell you how to wear your hair and what to say and how to walk and how to talk? Like, it's, isn't that literally being a director, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but the, the, the great part, the thing that I commend it for, though, in that respect is he is not giving himself a good time, right? Like, he is not, he is not, he's not making any excuses for it. It's like, this wrenching experience of like obsession that is clearly disordered, right? Like he's clearly presenting himself as a, as a disorder. Like he has this problem, you know, um, that, that, uh, is ugly, right? Like we're looking at the ugly part of him. Um, it, you know, and like you're saying, the, the music really reflects that it's really not, 
it really starts off as like, oh, is this a love story? But doesn't it never it never once really feels like it, it gets into that vein um, in all aspects of the film. And then, you know, as the film progresses and a lot of amazing plot twists, I haven't been surprised by a plot twist in a while, I think, um, because it's like a false plot twist and then there's a real plot twist. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, it... Uh, it, it it really reveals the hand of the film, which is just this self critique of uh, of obsession it has nothing to do with love. So, <laughs> great film. <laughs> just had to give my shout out. All right, that was a uh, awesome session of mixed media live. I would say, if you're watching this in post, listening in this post, listening to this in post, if you enjoyed anything that you heard here, again, like, share. Uh, if you're on podcast version, you know, Apple, Apple podcasts, Spotify, rate us, rate us, whatever you think that we should be rated as. But I, I beg of you, if it's not a five out of five, just let us know why so that we can make it a five out of five experience for you. Right. Like we want to improve the podcast in any which way possible. So uh, the last thing I have to say is join our discord where we continue the conversation throughout the week. You know, we talk about Anything that really comes into our mind, you know, we, we let you know what's going on. Um, yeah, our Discord uh, link is in the description wherever you're at, and it's a growing community, so it's a fun time. And the last thing, gotta plug it, mixedmedia.locals.com. In fact, actually, you can find all links that you possibly want at mixedmediapodcast.com. But if you go to mixedmedia.locals.com, that is our support page. If you've enjoyed anything that we've done here at all, you know, it's, well, I was gonna say it's $5 a month, <laughs> I forgot to turn off the promotion. So literally, I hope I, I think I will actually just go turn it off when I post the uh, exclusive link after this. I think what happened was last time I forgot to post the exclusive link on uh, Locals because we take down these uh, live streams uh, from our YouTube page. So for $5 a month, you just you, if you just do it for one month and you just want to throw us a tip that way, that is much better than coming on here and like, I don't know... Uh, YouTube has weird monetization functions or I don't know. Don't tip us on Podbean. Don't do it. Like go to mixed media, join. And if you want to give us $5, that is the best way to give us $5. And then after a month, just like quit. And, uh, that'll, that'll be uh, great. There's no obligations there. And while you're there, you can take advantage of all the perks for that entire month. So, uh, I think that would be beneficial to you as well so go check out those links and uh we'll see you next friday at 7 p.m eastern time thank you for spending time with us thanks for listening and watching 